Christian Church. Let's do this. Come on in. It's good to see most of you. Glad you're here worshiping with us for all of you. Uh, we are um, jumping into gear. If you're a guest or a visitor, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we couldn't be more excited that you're here and, and spending some time out of your Sunday, your weekend, worshiping with us. Uh, excited for that. We're actually on week three of a new series that we've just kicked off that we've launched called Wrestling with God, Wrestling with God. And the idea behind that is we're taking some uh, otherwise difficult topics that we at some point in our life wrestle with him or wrestle at least with the topic and, uh, and we're wrestling through it. And we realize that uh, often we're gonna come away not with a bunch of answers but with some intimacy with God we, we may walk away with a limp, uh, some soreness when you wrestle with God because he reveals uh, some truth to that, and that will be the case uh, this morning. Uh, if you missed last week, Alex did a great job in uh, going over the topic of hell. Uh, obviously, it's a big one, and, uh, and he made a real clear point that you'll probably walk away with more questions and answers, and that was certainly the case. Uh, hopefully, you continue to wrestle uh, with that this morning. We're looking at the question of evil, in particular, the suffering that it causes to us in our world. Now, when we think about suffering, a couple of things can come to mind. We certainly think of physical suffering. Uh, this is day one for me being vertical. I've been in bed for three days uh, straight with my eyes closed, uh, and so this is the first few moments that I've been vertical. Uh, and so some of you have been sick, or at least you know people that have been sick. If you've come up to me, I've given you kind of a shoulder bump. That's a, a step up from a fist bump. And uh, so I've tried to not infect anybody. Um, but illness can be a form of suffering. If you've watched the news any uh, this week, I've had a lot of time on my hands and have felt, um, I wish I could say a holy anger. Uh, a righteous anger, uh, and at times it certainly has been that, but it's been more just pure anger. Um, the Taliban using an ambulance, of all things, for a suicide attack killing 95 people this week, uh, a lot of children. Um, and so I've struggled with anger about that kind of suffering. Uh, school shooting in Kentucky, in which... Um, you know, I read the story about the little girl who was able to call her mom right before she passed away and, and hearing just breathing on the phone and that mom experiencing that uh, suffering. Uh, the Arnett's were here. At, we have a 9 o'clock service. Uh, if you're new to our church, we have a 9 o'clock service. The Arnett family was here minus Mark. He is with his father who um, the other day was placed on uh, hospice care and is... Um, uh, hopefully passing away today, and they are suffering. Uh, Mark is sitting with his father, and they are suffering through loss um, and death. Uh, a fr another friend of mine in, in California um, just out of the blue lost his father and spent all day yesterday in the funeral home preparing a, a funeral service that they weren't planning on, and they're suffering with that. There's heartache with that. We still have friends that are uh, contacting me on a regular basis that uh, lost everything in California with the California fires 
and lost uh, homes and cars and, and pictures and everything. And they're suffering um, in that. We watch the news with what's going on um, with the gymnastics uh, doctor and the abuse to so many uh, young girls. And there's suffering that comes with that. And so we're dealing with suffering. We're dealing with the topic of, of suffering. I wish it were fun. I wish it were happy, rah-rah. And it just isn't. And um, I, I guess one of the things that, that you learn in life uh, over a, a period of time uh, that you could say life is hard. You could just take those three words and, and, and apply it to all of our situations. Life is hard. And if it's not hard all the time, it's hard sometimes. And it's, it's hard for seasons. And uh, suffering is something that we wrestle with, this idea of a good God, a good, righteous, loving God, and, and yet at the same breath, there is suffering. And so how does that work? What do we do? How do we reconcile? How do we maintain a faith in an almighty, all-loving, all-good God in the midst of suffering that we face and, and read about and hear about seemingly all around us. So, and, and for someone who loves to watch the news, I love politics, I love history, I love news. There are times when I just have to turn the news off because it's only suffering that they're reporting. And so it's hard. What do we do when the test comes back positive? When a when a child is taken from us way too soon. When that call comes in the middle of the night. When that person that we were supposed to be able to trust betrays us. And there are things that come up that are unimaginable. What do we do with that? What do we do with suicide and Alzheimer's and car accidents and uh, fatal diagnoses and birth defects and mental illness and, and, and depression that seemingly won't go away any time soon. What do we do with those things? Because the reality is we have to be ready. As, as followers of Christ, we have to be ready because the reality is whether we like it or not, someday it might be your kid, it might be mine. Someday it might be our phone that rings. Someday it, it might be your husband or your wife's CAT scan that comes back. Someday it might be your friend or your family member's car accident. Someday it might be you. And so how do we wrestle with God with suffering? Because for some of you, someday has already happened. If we were to go around and interview you, if, if we were to take inventory around this room and for those listening online, someday has already happened. You've experienced it. For some of you, someday is happening right now. It's imminent. You're feeling it right now. You're in it. But for every single person who walks the earth, there is a someday. And so we must face with this, we must face this question, and that is this, who is our God in the midst of evil and suffering? It's pretty easy to articulate, it's pretty easy actually to embrace who is our God when life is perfect, when the kids are all 
fed and, and clothed and healthy and doing well when they're making wise decisions and life's just great when a marriage is really good and you're coming off a, a really good season of marriage when everyone around you is pretty well, they have all got jobs and life's just pretty good and you're going through, quote, the normalness of life and you go to church and you come home and go out and get something to eat. Like, it's easy to describe who your God is in that moment. It's much more difficult to describe who is our God in the midst of evil and suffering. It's much more difficult to describe to someone else who is our God that would allow an ambulance to explode and kill women and children. And so this morning, rather than try to answer all of the questions in regards to suffering, we're going to wrestle together and we're going to use a book of the Bible to do that. For some of you, it's very familiar. For others of you, it's maybe vaguely cursory familiar and others of you maybe it's going to be brand new and it's the book of Job and so I want to invite you to open up to that book of Job or uh, and I normally like to hear the Bible turning and stuff I'm going to actually give you freedom this morning to not have a Bible open and just focus on the screen uh, all morning it's been going from white to pink and so if it goes to pink that doesn't mean like that's stage one of an alarm and you're waiting for it to get to red uh, we're just having technical issues with our projector. Uh, but if you want, you can just sit back and watch the screen. It will have all of the passages up there for you this morning. It's this Old Testament book of Job, and it describes the life of a man named Job. It's, it's incredible. So this guy's name is Job, and it describes the suffering he endures and the questions that he asks and how his entire experience with God and his suffering shape his character, shape who he is as a person. So here's how the story begins. Verse 1, in the land of Uz, next door to Oz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. That is literally he despised it. He despised evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Not sure what happened to the West. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was Jacob's regular custom. And so right off the bat, we get a picture of our main character in the story, Job. And the author tells us that he lives in Uz. And Uz, we learn because of the passage, is east of the people. Now, the people in Israel lived in what country? This is not a trick question. <laughs> Israel. The people in Israel, thank you, friends. The, the people in Israel lived in Israel, and Uz is to the east. And so we're told at this beginning section, 
something very important. It's, it's our first thing in understanding struggle and suffering. That is that there's a whole world outside of here. We see our beautiful mountains and the trees and the snow-capped hills. We see all that that's out there. And what the story tells us is that where the people of God were, were in Israel, to the east, outside of them, in real life, are struggles and real pain and real suffering. It's a real life that we live with real dynamics, and life gets really hard sometimes. That is the very first thing that we learn in this particular point in our story. We're also told in this opening section a little bit about Job's life. He's good, he's pious, he's, he's a faithful individual, he's blameless and upright. The scripture says that he feared, and shun, feared God and shunned evil. He's a family man who has done nothing wrong. He's trying to raise his family. He's doing a good job. He's doing what he should. He's loving God. He's pious before him. He's kneeling before his son. He hasn't done anything wrong, but trouble is coming to the land of us. Trouble is coming to this place that will soon be a place where really bad things begin to happen to a really good man. And what the author wants us to understand about this story is not just that suffering occurs because it does, but that from, Jacob's, uh, from Job's perspective, that it comes from God without any warning, without any explanation, without any justification. Suffering comes. Verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Quick point of reference here. Two things that we can take away from this. Number one, we often wonder, why is life hard? Why is what we see on this earth, why does suffering happen? Why, do you, why does pain happen? Why do bad things happen? We have an enemy. His name is Satan. He's an enemy of God. He's an enemy, therefore, of those who are Christ followers. And he is roaming this world that we live in. We're going to learn more about this. The happenings of the earth that we live in now. He is roaming this world, the scriptures say, to kill and destroy. He's roaming this world to kill and destroy anything that's good. You have a relationship that is seemingly good. He wants to kill and destroy it. You have ambitions, you have hopes, you have drives, you have callings. He is roaming the world looking to kill and destroy it. Lurking behind every corner, looking to pounce. That's what Satan does. The second thing that we see is there's a significant shift here in this story. Because we go from describing who Job is to now there's an encounter going on in the principalities, in heaven. What this tells us is there are two realities. There are, there are two happenings that are going on. There's the happenings that you and I experience. You guys go to school. We go to work. We have relationships. We have conflict. We have bills to pay. We have tensions. We have to do discipline. We have all these things. That is the earthly happening that we see. There's another happening that is going on at all times without pause, 24 hours a day, and that is the happenings in the principalities. That is the happenings in heaven. 
of what God is dealing with. The problem is we don't always get to see or know about those happenings. And so all we're left with at times is the happenings of the here and now. And therefore, we begin to wrestle with suffering because we can't see the other happening. We can't see what is actually going on. Let's go to verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the works of his hands, so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. The plot thickens at this point. Satan essentially says to God, hey, Job loves you. He serves you. He's faithful to you. He's obedient to you. You protect him. Of course he's going to love you. Of course he's going to serve you. Of course he's going to be obedient to you. You protect him. He's like the perfect child. You won't allow anything to happen to him. For those of us who have several kids, we understand that the firstborn is protected they can't even fall into a pillow where everybody's rushing to their attention. The fourth kid can fall from a roof and we don't even get off the chair. Job is protected. Of course you're going to take care of him. Of course he loves you. And this is one of the central questions of Job. Does Job really fear God for nothing? And then it causes you and I to question this. Do we really fear God for nothing? Do we love and trust God because he is God? Or do we revere him so that he'll hook us up? Do we love God because he'll hook us up with prosperity, we believe, or with goodness, or blessings, or a pain and struggle-free existence? Or do we love God... Because he's God. And you see, Job, in his suffering, it reveals the answer to that question. And what you'll find in the story is this incredible irony. For Job, suffering is what puts God on trial. For Job, what he sees and understands, and often what you and I see and what we understand, is we, and Job did, we put God on trial. He's got to answer for himself. How could you ever let this happen, God? Probably a statement you might make pretty frequently if you watch the news. What have I ever done to deserve this from you, God? Where are you, God? Aren't you here? Don't you love me? 
You see, in Job's eyes, God is on trial. He has to answer. And I don't know if you've ever been to court. Maybe you got a traffic ticket. Maybe you were part of a, a lawsuit or you were a witness or whatever it might be. When you are on the witness stand for any length of time, whether it be for a minute or all day, I've been both, it is miserable. Because you only get to answer the questions that are asked. You can't give a follow-up question. And here, Job puts God on trial. But what's actually happening in the midst of the suffering is it's Job. It's humanity. It's you and I who are on trial. Not God. Do we love and trust God even when it's brutally hard? That's the question that suffering presents to us. You see, in the Bible, suffering doesn't test God. It tests us. Difficult life circumstances, suffering puts us on trial. We have to put an answer to our faith. And it doesn't come easy, friends. And we'll see that it wasn't an easy thing for Job either. Because now, as Satan is turned loose by God, Job loses everything. He loses all of his material possessions, his oxen, his sheep, his donkeys, all of his servants are burned up. And then one final blow, Job's children are wiped out by a windstorm, a collapse on the house that they were eating and drinking at, and everyone's gone. Verse 20. At this, Job got up. He tore his robe and shaved his head, which I think is cool. Then he fell to the ground in worship, verse 21, and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin, charging God with wrongdoing. Job is being beaten. He's taken body blows. He is being bludgeoned. He's beginning to bleed. He cannot move very well, but he is still praising God. He is still keeping his eyes up. And that's quite a response. You and I would agree, hey, pretty impressive that, jo that Job could literally lose everything he owns and all of his family and still be praising God. That's pretty impressive. I don't know if that would be my first response. I hope it would be, but I'm not quite sure that it would be. But it is Job's. But here's the problem. Satan's not done. Chapter 2, verse 4. <clears throat> skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So let's follow this. He begins, Satan says, I want to go after Job. That's fine, you can't touch him. He, he touches everything in his life but him and still is praising God. So Satan says, great, he's still praising you, but you won't let me touch him. Let me touch him. God says, okay, no problem. Touch him, but you've got to save his life. You cannot kill him. And we'll pause just for a moment here to address this. If you've ever read the book of Job or been, been involved in any kind of study, there's a tendency at times to think, I don't know how I feel about God toying with 
or wagering my well-being with Satan. That doesn't sit right with me. And what I want to say to you is that's not what's happening. If you read the entire account, God is doing something remarkable and Satan doesn't realize it. It's right before his eyes and we're going to get that to the end. But I want to address that is don't ever feel like God just takes you as some positioning pawn that he can wager away for his greater good. That's not how he works. But if you look at it from Satan's point, Satan is thinking everyone has a breaking point. What about you? Do you have a breaking point? You say, well, I'll praise God. I go, I, I drive home, I get in a little fender bender. No problem, I will praise God in the midst of being upset with my fender bender. I'll go to work tomorrow, and even if I lose my job, I will praise God and I will trust and obey. Well, what if we escalate that? What if we escalate it to where you're on the way home and you get in a fender bender and you survive, but someone in your family doesn't? Are you still praising God? What if you go to work tomorrow and there's a, a mass shooting? Wish to God we didn't even have to bring up subjects like this, but it's the reality of where we live. Are we still praising God? That's the question that Satan is posing to God on behalf of his person, Job. Satan is essentially saying, hey, look, I may not have broken him yet, but keep giving me time. I will break him. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that where you're like, man, what else can go wrong? What else can just be bad? Because everything is bad right now. What else could go wrong? And what usually happens when you say that? Yeah, something else happens. So don't ever ask what else can go wrong because there's a laundry list of what could. Verse 7. So Satan, after receiving this permission from the Lord, Satan goes out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Complete brokenness for this godly man. He's been broken inside. His heart has been broken. And now Satan is attacking his body to the point where scraping himself with broken pottery feels better than the pain he feels. And one of the things we're supposed to wrestle with in this book and pertaining to our topic is how could God do this? How could God allow Satan to do this to Job? How could God what appears to be so flippantly and without any compassion allow this to happen to this man. <clears throat> and the beginning of this question is given voice by none other than Job's wife. Listen to what she says. Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Okay, let's address that just for a second. 
if you're a husband or a wife and your, your significant other is struggling, I don't know that the best advice to tell that person is, give up your integrity, go just curse God and die. But that's what we get here. Another unwise reply, verse 10. Job says, you are talking like a foolish woman. Pause. I can't think of a time when it would be wise for a man to refer to his wife as a foolish woman. But we see both of these unwise, unhealthy responses to each other. One of the things that this tells us is that during crises, during suffering, during heartache, is the worst comes out in us, and often what we give to our significant other, that person who we love the most, really has nothing to do with them. But they get the worst. Why? Because inside is dying. And so we have to be careful. Married people, during these times, even single people, because you will eventually divert that maybe to even someone else, maybe a close friend or a family member, is they get the worst from us, even when we don't intend for it. Continuing in verse 10, shall we accept the good from God and not the trouble? And in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. I'm going to keep reading a little bit. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the Namanite, Alex, the Rowanite. <laughs> I threw that one in there. Is Alex even here? <laughs> hey, listen, Alex, Alex is not in the room as far as I can see. Just right outside that Good, he's, out, he's outside sinning. Um <laughs> In all seriousness, Alex is a pastor on staff. He leads worship. He uh, cares for our students. Um, he preached last week and um, super thankful for him and, and how he serves this church. Just, uh, if you think about it, give him, uh, give him some encouragement along the way. It goes a long way. Um, anyway, Alex wasn't there. There's only three of these friends, these ites, and they hear about all the trouble that had come upon him, Job. They set out from their homes and they met together in agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. Notice they went immediately to go and to sympathize with him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. That tells you how gruesome his body had become. And they began to weep aloud. Have you done that before where you see someone and they're in worse condition than you thought? and It's just too much. So they tore their robes. There's a lot of that going on right now. They sprinkled dust on their heads and then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him. For some of you extroverts, that would kill you. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. The writer says that they were going out immediately away from their homes to sympathize with him. The Hebrew word here actually describes going and sitting, the physical act of sitting with someone and rocking back and forth. Quote, rocking back and forth. Think of someone that you've seen in times of extreme trauma. 
what do they do? They will sit and rock back and forth. For those of us who are maybe outside that aren't feeling that pain, we kind of wonder, are they losing it? They're not losing it. It's actually a proper response. All the way back into biblical times, our bodies are conditioned that way. Why? I don't know. You have to ask a doctor or a psychologist. I don't know why. But I do know that even the Hebrew word, to go and sympathize with them, was the idea of going and sitting with someone and being able to rock back and forth with them. So there's these three friends and Job, and they're sitting for seven days and seven nights, sitting, rocking back and forth. Because the pain is so deep. And they will sit next to him over the course of this week and they will take on his pain. They will take on his anguish. They will enter into his suffering with no coaching, no tips, no explanations. Husbands, take notice of that. Just their presence. Not words of why, not words of how, not words of, hey, maybe you should get something to drink, maybe you should get something to eat, maybe we should lie down, maybe, 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 maybe. They just shut up and enter into that suffering with that person. And it's interesting, as, as Christ followers, as church, we're constantly learning how to live life with each other in the context of what life throws at us. This is a great learning situation for us because as we began this, the morning saying, life will happen. Suffering will happen. So what, how are we supposed to respond to that? I think Paul takes the whole story of Job and says, let me just make it way easier because I know a lot of you struggle with reading the Bible, so let me just put it into one verse. He does that in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Say that with me. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Church, we would, we would, we would be wise to apply this to those inside and outside of the church. Someone's rejoicing over something trivial, rejoice with them. Someone's mourning over something that maybe you can, maybe you cannot relate to, mourn with them. Not a word. Not a single coaching tip. Just sitting with them. Teenagers in the room, if, if you guys want to be good young adults someday, apply this now. You see a friend that's rejoicing, rejoice with them. You see a friend who's struggling, be that one friend who says, I'll go sit with you. My friend whose father just suddenly passed away, I sent him a text yesterday and said, hey man, I, I wish I could just sit in the room with you and not say a word. And I finished the text saying, I can't do that physically, so I'm going to sit in my office for the next half an hour, and I'm just going to sit with you. He said, thank you, I appreciate it, it means a lot, blah. I, I don't know how much. I, I, I trust in God's power it does something, but there's something powerful to entering into the sufferings of others. So let's jump to chapter 3. 
See how our story continues. Verse 1, after this, Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish. And the night that said, a boy is conceived that day, may it turn to utter darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light even shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. Skip to verse 23. Why is life even given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. And friends, this is what is technically, theologically, academically described as not being in a good place. Having a bad moment. Not having a good day. However you want to describe it, this is Job. He is not in a good place. In fact, if you had received a phone call from a friend who described themselves like this, you would be grabbing your car keys, racing to their house while calling 911 in fear that they might take their own life. And in the midst of this suffering, Job is now struggling to fully understand God. It's a piece of cake to understand God when we deal with felt boards with the kids and the, all the animals went into the ark and then the sun came out and all the animals came out. It, it's pretty easy to understand God. When we start wrestling with some of these other topics, it's a little bit more difficult. And Job is wrestling with God. Is he the kind of God who sends evil? Is he really a good God? Can he be trusted? And over the next 28 chapters, Job will express a level of bitterness and anger and pain and confusion towards God that's more than just a little bit honest. And this honesty and struggle with God that Job's friends ultimately they can't take and so they just leave him. These great friends that had good intentions to sit and rock back and forth with him, they can't handle his questioning. They can't handle his wrestling. They can't handle his complaints. They can't handle them, Job, calling out to his God saying, I don't know if I can trust you. They can't handle that. And so they begin to rebuke Job and correct Job and feed Job their theology of suffering and why it's happening to him. You see, one of the great understandings of of suffering and evil during Job's day was this. That if evil comes your way, you deserved it. If blessings came your way, it's because you've lived a blessed life. If struggle and suffering came your way, it's because it's linked to some sin or shortcoming in you. That's the theology that was being taught during Job's day. Is that a truth or a lie? Come on. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie. And in chapter 16, Job wrestles and asks these questions. And, and, he, and it's okay to ask questions and question your God, friends. It's okay to do that. 
And he circles around in chapter 19 to, to some sort of a truth, but it's still this paradox. He says this in verse 25, I, for I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on earth. And after my skin has been destroyed yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him. And with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. He is saying, God is both my enemy and he's my redeemer. He has allowed this to happen to me and yet he saves me and he loves me and he's wrestling with God. Why? Because he doesn't get it. And why doesn't he get it? Friends, it's because suffering and evil does not make sense. It does not make sense when we place it against the backdrop of a loving God who's good in his pure essence. And Job is wrestling with these two realities. And what Job wants, what he really wants, and what you and I really want when we experience suffering or when we watch it in another person is what we really want is answers. We want justice and an explanation from God. And in chapter 38, Job gets his wish. And he stands face to face in this wrestling. This is the climax of the story because God is actually going to speak to Job. And he says this, Who is this that obscures all my plans with words and without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, for I will question you and you shall answer me. I have a question. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand it. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On, on what were its footing setter? Who laid the cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Come on, Joe, please tell me. And you see at the end of Job, God shows up, but he, he never answers Job's questions never explains to him why he has allowed the suffering that he has allowed. And in the end, Job gets something that he never intended. He didn't ask for. He wasn't looking for. Something far greater than his answers to his questions through his suffering, Job encounters and meets the living God face to face. And intimacy. And it's finalized in Job chapter 42, verse 5. For my ears heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I heard about you in Sunday school. I heard the pastor preach about you. I read stories about you. I heard the scriptures talk about you. I even talked about you on mission trips and at youth group. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And you see, Satan, as it turns out, was wrong. He's always wrong. <coughs> because in the face of evil and suffering, Job... We, people, followers of Christ, we can cling and hold on to the love of God even when it doesn't seem to pay off for us at all. 
Even when the pain and suffering still exist, even when that, that weight is not lifted, we can still, much to the chagrin of Satan, can still praise our God. Because he doesn't win. He isn't right. He's wrong. We can still love God. Even when it doesn't make sense, we can still, still trust him and go to him and to love him. I wish, I wish that Alex and I could neatly explain all the questions about suffering. I really, really do. I, I wish we could tie a, a, a nice, beautiful bow around suffering and heartache and wrap it up nice and neat and then present it to you. And, and have your face light up and that everything would be okay then. I wish there was, I, I wish there was something that I could do to enter into the, the, the context of your life and the, and the pain that maybe you feel with suffering and heartache. I, I wish I could take that and just carry that. I wish I could fix it. But I can't. I wish church could fix it, but it can't. But I do know a, a God who will never turn away and will enter into that wrestling with us so that we walk away with an intimacy that could not otherwise be created or manufactured or processed except through those moments. And so maybe, maybe the message for you today or, or maybe the message for me today is to hang on, to hang in there, to not give up. To keep focused on the Lord. to be able to say, for I know that my Redeemer lives. Because He can shoulder it. He can take it away. He can bear it with you. I can't, but He can. Maybe the message for you is to keep wrestling, keep struggling, keep doubting, keep working through this with your loving God. In the realness of your life, not in a global contextualization, but in, in regards to what you are going through. The great thing is we're doing it together. This wrestling. And then we get to wrestle with our kids with that idea. We get to wrestle with friends and neighbors. When, when difficulty happens, we get to wrestle with it on the goodness of God. So let's pray together. Father, we are we're faced with this idea of pause for a moment because we know that you are loving and that you are good, but there's also times of suffering. And we can only see one happening on this earth 
our eyes are not yet open to the things of the principalities in heaven. And so in that, we need faith, we need encouragement, we need strength, we need boldness, we need hope in the midst of suffering, whatever it might be. So please come and continue to use worship, continue to use community, continue to use our song to speak of your goodness and to speak of our trust in you. So thank you, God, that you are the answer. And I pray that that would be enough for us.